Welcome to Mexico Unexplained, where we will explore the magic, the mysteries, and the miracles of Mexico. This series presents information based partly on theory and conjecture. The podcaster's purpose is to suggest some possible explanation, but not necessarily the only ones to the subjects we will examine. Here is your host, Robert Vito. Welcome and muy bienvenidos to episode number 19 of Mexico Unexplained, where we examine the magic, the mysteries, and the miracles of Mexico. I'm your host, Robert Pitto. In this episode, I'm going to ask you, the listener, to open your mind. Much investigation has been done about ancient Mexico's connection to other ancient civilizations on Earth. Certain elements of physical culture lead people to believe that there was once an ancient pre-flood super-civilization that spanned the oceans, and it included ancient Mexico. Some authors and investigators have suggested that the seeds of these civilizations come from somewhere else, and we have all heard of the ancient astronaut theories that claim that cultures like the Olmec and the Maya had origins from faraway stars. There are others who believe, though, that a connection to off-world cultures can be found a little closer to home, as in our own solar system. Today we will explore what many researchers claim to be ruins on the planet Mars and their possible connection to the cultures of ancient Mexico. This may be the most interesting and controversial episode we will put forth here on Mexico Unexplained. So get ready for some mind-blowing information. With us to discuss this topic of the Mars-Mexico connection is Max Kazik, author of the book The Crux of Cydonia, Truth, Light, and the Face on Mars. Max's research is meticulous and extensive. I recommend getting a copy of his book. Welcome, Max. Thank you, Robert. It's great to be here. It's great to have you. So um, we're going to ask people to open their minds pretty wide here and uh, take in what you have to say. So give us a little background on you and then a little background on your work, if you could, please. Oh, sure. Um, I was born and raised in southeastern Pennsylvania in the suburbs of Philadelphia. Uh, my parents are immigrants uh, off the boat Swedish and Polish. We consider ourselves Swedish, though, because my dad moved to Sweden during the war when he was very young. And uh, he was an engineer, my father was, and started a business and thrived uh, through most of the 60s and 70s. And a bit of a decline in the 80s, but uh, I took over the business in the mid-90s, and I ran it until uh, I, think, I think I closed down in 08 officially. But towards the end there, I really started uh, paying attention to what was going on off-world vis-a-vis Mars. And yeah, I think that's how uh, it all started, was uh, listening to Hoagland speak and realizing what needed to be done in order to further the research and take it to the next level. Okay, can you tell us a little bit about what people are saying is on Mars? I know... In 1976, Viking landed. I believe that was the name of the spacecraft, correct? Correct. And they uh, took photos of an area called Cydonia or Cydonia. Well, uh, actually, that was, Viking landed and, okay. and actually took uh, color images of the surface of Mars. The Viking lander did not land in Cydonia. Okay. However, uh, if, if one examines the images closely and 
knows what to look for, you can see ruins at, at the Viking lander site as well. However, the Viking orbiter did return images of uh, what is now known as the face on Mars. And of course, uh, when, they, when they announced it, they had already taken a second image and used that second image to dismiss the face as a, quote, trick of light and shadow. And as it turns out, that's exactly what the face on Mars is. Okay, so what is this face on Mars, and then what's around the face on Mars? Okay, the face on Mars is a four and a half square kilometer effigy. It's surrounded by a, a five-sided pyramid that is roughly ten times the size of the largest pyramid at Giza on Earth. There is also a whole bunch of other uh, geometric shapes that support the face and uh, help tell a, a much larger story when you start connecting the dots and, and uh, well, doing the measurements. Okay, that leads us to an important connector between Earth and Mars, specifically the ancient ruins on Earth and Mexico. The ruins in, in Mexico and in other places are measured with precise measurements and they're set up according to what's been termed sacred geometry. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, sure. All the pyramids across the globe demonstrate what's called sacred geometry, and it's really a, an ancient science and practice. I think, oh, another important thing to mention is that uh, not only do they reflect the sacred geometry, but they reflect the cosmos. So, you know, it, it's widely known that Teotihuacan represents the sun, the moon, and all the planets working out from the moon. They also track, uh, it, it's been said, uh, I just saw a a, uh, a a Facebook post by a, a, a 12-year-old boy who did some research and discovered that uh, some of the pyramids in, um, somewhere in Mexico, I don't think it was Teotihuacan, but they were uh, reflecting the Pleiades constellation. So uh, the constellations and, and the uh, stars that seem to repeat themselves as, as being aligned to the pyramids not just in Mexico, but across the world, are uh, Sirius, Orion, and the Pleiades. There might be a few others, but those are the big ones. And so the monuments on Mars, there's a, a similar alignment like what we see in ancient Mexico? There is. Um, I'm not sure about the solstice alignments at Teotihuacan, but if I was to talk about a correlation between the alignments of Sedonia to a, a alignments at any given site on Earth, I would mention Stonehenge because everybody knows about the solstice alignment and the heel stone and where to stand and, and watch the sun rise and set on the summer, winter solstice and the, the equinoxes, right? Well, you know what? There is a connection in the Maya world at Chichen Itza, the yeah. main pyramid of Kukulkan, also known as Quetzalcoatl and other parts of Mesoamerica. Right. On the equinoxes, you can see the outline or the shadow of a snake on the right. stairway. Right. The shadow of the of the snake, which represents our galaxy. So, I mean, they're, they're all about the big picture. And, of course, the Mayans, one of the greatest things about the Mayan civilization is, is the calendar and the, the way they track time. And it's not just the Earth going around the sun, but it's the lunar cycle. And apparently they're also tracking the cycle of our solar system in the galaxy. And I didn't quite understand how this worked until 
I started studying Sidonia and Sidonia helped me understand what that alignment was and, and what it means. Okay, perfect time for you to share with us what you found out. Okay, well, we can talk. There's, there's a lot of alignments and things that we could talk about, but let's talk about that one. And what I learned was there's, when we're talking about celestial bodies going around the sun, they orbit on what's called the ecliptic plane, right? They, they all orbit on the same, on the same plane, and some of the planets will tilt as they're going around the sun, and they tilt over thousands of years. And this tilt is called obliquity. Earth has obliquity, but it only tilts a couple degrees. It, it shifts back and forth between our current tilt, which is 23.5 degrees, which is significant, by the way, compared to, let's say, Mars's 25.2 degrees. Now, Mars, however, as opposed to Earth's two-degree shift over a couple thousand years, Mars will shift its obliquity 30 degrees over a period of 86,000 years. And what I also learned was there was a specific alignment and a specific reflection, which we can talk about later, that made me wonder if, and I'm kind of jumping the gun and jumping forward a little bit, but what I learned was if the face represents our sun, then what does the DNM pyramid represent? What's now, the, DNM? What is that? The, the DNM is a, uh, an abbreviation for DiPietro and Molinar, the two guys who discovered the DNM pyramid. Oh, okay. Okay. Sorry and for interrupting. That's fine. It has to be said. And so I started asking myself early on in my research, if the face represents the sun, then could the DNM somehow represent the galaxy or the supermassive black hole at the center of our galaxy? And as soon as I started understanding and putting the geometry together, I discovered that indeed the DNM does represent the black hole at the center of our galaxy. But I also learned through studying all the alignments, and, and we, we, I don't think we can get into it all here, but not only does Mars tilt on its, its axis 30 degrees every 86,000 years, I learned that our solar system, that ecliptic plane, also tilts, right? So that tilt shifts our perspective of the stars. So Sidonia tracks that shift and I learned by looking at the symbolism that was revealed through the geometry that 65 million years ago, our solar system was tilted at 19.5 degrees to the galactic equator. And currently we're at 60 degrees. So that shift takes a very, 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 very long time to occur. But the Mayans knew about it and the Mayans were also tracking it. And that's what the long count is really about, is this solar system tilt relative to the galactic equator. And that goes back, you said, 65 million years? When... Yes, okay. yes. And of course, that number is significant. Why? That's when the dinosaurs were wiped out. That's when the big cataclysm happened. Right. And in our model, the cataclysm was a planet between Jupiter and Mars that exploded, that is now the asteroid belt. I think I saw that in a movie. No, I don't know, but it was in it was in a 1950s comic. I think it was Tom Corbett, maybe. Oh, I think Tom was, Corbett, Space Cadet. Yeah, yes, and Space it was a, Cadet. Yeah. If, it, if it wasn't, it was definitely a Jack Kirby comic. And you know, Jack Kirby obviously got involved with uh, Stan Lee, and you know, the rest is history. Marvel comics. <laughs> so, okay, we have these monuments on Mars. Who built them? What's their connection to us and Still to ancient know. Mexico? 
Still don't know. The point is, they're real. Somebody put them there. And I think that in and of itself, you know, warrants a massive expedition and a, a boom, uh, you know, a, a giant space boom to get going and find out what this, this is really all about. Okay, and, now you're saying that these ruins are for sure. I mean, absolutely, unequivocally, no doubt, hundred okay. percent. They're not natural formations. I I remember hearing that the face on Mars looks more like a cat box than a real sculpture. Right. Um, you know, these anomalies that we see, these these photographs that are coming from these landers and orbiters and everything, they can be explained away and. Well, that, that's interesting because, you know, I was speaking of of uh, exploded planets and whatnot. I mean, it's not just, just Mars and, and the connection to Earth anymore. I mean, we've now been to um, the uh, 67P comet. I don't even want to try to say the name, the, the very long Russian name. Mm-hmm. I think it's Gerimisenko. There's ruins on that. There's ruins on Pluto. And there's ruins on that little uh, planetoid in the asteroid belt that we're visiting called Ceres. Ceres, right. Yeah. Okay. And there's a light there too, right? Yeah, like a shiny yeah, light. Yeah. What what is all that? Is it glass or is it just salt? And that's interesting too, because what, you know, isn't there a measurable reflectivity given numbers for certain elements? And as far as I understand, I think salt's albedo is far too low to be what we're seeing. Okay, let's talk a little bit about people <clears throat> dismissing the whole monuments on Mars theory. Right. Uh, it's a, I think it's a psychological phenomenon that makes them dismiss called cognitive dissonance. Okay. Uh, if, if we can talk about that for a moment, sure. I, I think it's entirely relevant. Okay. Uh, cognitive dissonance is a well-known psychological state. When people are faced with new facts that contradict core beliefs, they will reject the new fact out of hand. They will, they will do whatever they can. They will lie, cheat, and steal not to face and incorporate the new facts into their reality. And that's exactly what's going on. And the, the best example I have of that is uh, some friends at work, you know, they, they know full well what I'm into. And when we were getting these images back of this, this comet with these amazing, obvious ruins, there was this one in the beginning, one of the first images that ESA, European Space Agency, showed us was a, a giant cylinder. It looked like a tower. And I showed it to my friends, and the first thing out of their mouths was, oh, yeah, right, Occam's razor, the most likely explanation is it's a rock. And what they neglected was the very first line of Occam's razor, which is all ideas are created equal. That means it could be cheese, <laughs> it could be rocks, or it could be ruins. We don't know what explanation fits the data best. So... But then what would, okay, I'll be devil's advocate here. Please. What would anybody be doing building something on a comet? They're dirty snowballs in space, right? So. Well, it turns out they're not dirty snowballs. They're snowy dirt balls. Okay. <laughs> that was one of the first things we learned with our first uh, expedition to a comet in the early 2000s, <laughs> was that it completely baffled scientists because it wasn't a dirty snowball. It's a, a snowy dirt ball. Exactly. It sounds like maybe one of your Philly uh, neighbors in the wintertime or something. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, it, it totally baffled scientists from the beginning, and immediately they had to start, you know, twisting and turning and doing anything they could not to face the possibility that these comets aren't comets at all, but are ancient derelict spaceships. 
okay, then how do you break through to people to break through that cognitive dissonance? That's a good question. I think you start 50, 60 years ago and start introducing the subject slowly, 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 drip, 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 as the saying goes, you know, a little bit at a time. You have to acclimate people. And then so what is this leading to? What do you think this Mars connection and then also to other parts of the solar system? Tell us what it all means. Well, I think ultimately is now, given the physics and how it affects our consciousness, I think our solar system is aligned just right where we're finally at a tipping point where we can finally end this cycle of rise and fall as a civilization, rise and fall, rise and fall, and realize our ancient legacy and get back to it and be that super spacefaring civilization, this type two, as it's called, civilization that spans the solar system and can build these mega structures. I mean, you heard in the news, uh, what, has it been a year already since we started talking about a, a sphere around that star uh, right. a, a couple thousand light years away? Mm-hmm. Where, you know, we might have been doing that 65 million years ago. But I think now is the time where we, we can finally get back to doing that and start building towards something that great once again. So then there was a cataclysm that ruined everything, right? Yeah. But then some of that super civilization survived here on Earth in our ancient civilization. Is that correct? Yeah, I think so. I think all of that survived via religions and different cultures. I think they all, having been separated because of the, the massive loss of ability to communicate and all that sort of thing, they took what they could and, and built it into their religious structures. And that's why they're all, all of them are so similar in their symbolism and, and, you know, what they represent. Even some of the words, I when I visited Easter Island, I asked in the native language of Rapa Nui, I asked, what do you call the sun? Because, you know, that's just uh-huh. a basic thing. And right. the one of the native speakers there said, Ra, R-A, <laughs> that's what they call sun. And we all know Ra in Egypt. Which, you know, some people could say, hey, that's a coincidence. Well, but... when you see it over and over again, and then you start looking out in the solar system, and you see all the similar, very similar uh, symbolism, it's, it becomes impossible to dismiss. You so, know, it becomes a preponderance of evidence. So then, okay, let me get this straight then. When the cataclysm happened, did refugees come here, or the ancient civilizations of Earth already connected and plugged into this super civilization and then uh, we just saw a decline here I, i've always imagined I, you know i would imagine somehow there would be survivors i've heard others argue no way but given what we're capable of and what they were capable of if you could go far enough underground couldn't you survive i don't know you know it's it's really pretty hard speculation but i think if you know, if we had some survivors and they had enough knowledge to understand the physics and know that the only time that they would be able to get back to where they were was now, you know, so many millions of years later, even that let, let's let's assume it was 10,000 years ago and want to get back to, you know, where we were, say, 10, 13,000 years ago, you would start building slowly and, and uh, you know, try to incorporate that into religious texts and, and political agendas and things like that. Okay, now with more interest in space and you know maybe even commercialization of space pretty soon here 
there were going to be private probes and private maybe manned missions to different places the moon mars wherever what do you think is going to happen once people find out more about what's really on the surface of these places what's the end game here uh well i think it's going to be a boom i think it'll be it'll be the gold rush multiplied exponentially i think it's going to be massive I think we're going to forget about all our little problems that are going on here, and it's going to be massive cooperation, and we got to go together because we're all one. We, you know, there's no once you start uh, realizing that you know we were all part of this solar system-wide civilization, it becomes very difficult to separate oneself from the rest of everyone else. In my view, anyway. I've heard talk, too, in my limited research on this, that some people think that there's like a hall of records or some sort of library that's in Sidonia. I don't know Could if you've be. heard about that. Or, or... Uh, I, it's, of course, speculation. We don't know. Um, I've, I've always been... Uh, we, we've yet to get any sort of uh, geological compositional analysis of Sidonia. So we don't know what it's made of. However, there's one very revealing image that was taken back in, I think, 2001 by Mars Odyssey. It's a Themis image, and uh, it was a pre-dawn image. The uh, sun has not yet broken the horizon on, on Sidonia, but the face and a bunch of the other monuments are lit up and there's only there's really only one explanation for this intense brightness that's shining off the eastern side of Sidonia and it's only the eastern side this doesn't happen on the western side and the only explanation is that the eastern side of the monuments are all made of glass so if that's true you know all kinds of things could be hidden inside of these things and why do you think that they're made out of glass I mean what was the reason for making them out of glass Oh, because it uh, turns out that these are all uh, not just bifurcated, but <laughs> I don't know okay, if there's a word. Okay, that's a 50 cent word. What's that mean? Bifurcated means split face. And okay. here's another ex- excellent example of uh, Mayan connection. The Mayans were all about doing split faces and duality. You know, they had the Jaguar Man and, and a whole bunch of others. And, and George Haas and William Saunders did a terrific book called The Sidonia Codex. And they drew all these connections to the Mayan lore. And they were finding all these glyphs in Sidonia that were actually split faces. The problem with Saunders and Haas was they neglected the geometry. So they were cherry picking, sort of, and finding these split faces, but not understanding why the split face was specifically where they found it. And Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah, it makes sense. But um, to clarify, sure. tell us exactly what a split face is. It has something to do with mirror images or... Yeah, yeah. Tell us a little bit about The face itself is the most obvious split on the face is right down the middle and it's half lion, half man. Okay. Okay. It's actually three images, but we don't need to get into all that now. It's, it's a lot deeper. George Haas focused primarily on the bifurcation. What I discovered, though, was when I started doing the geometry, I'm looking at the geometry that I was doing, and I started thinking to myself, you know, I'm looking at the lines, and I'm looking at, at how the lines are connecting very specifically to the monument I was measuring and going, well, if they designed this split face in there, couldn't they have hidden other images? Right? That's very possible. So I did 
I did the north image on the face, and lo and behold, I found another sphinx. I actually found two sphinxes side by side. So when you reflect one side, you see this really cool lion's head with a crown sitting on a human torso, and he's sitting on haunched lion's legs. Now, if you flip that image, you see a sphinx face. It's got human-esque eyes and the hair lip. It's another sphinx. So we have all these split faces that are hidden throughout Sidonia and are revealed on very, very specific, meaningful geometric lines. And all of this is very visual, so a note to our listeners, we'll have links to Max's work and also some of the pictures from his book on the MexicoUnexplained.com website because, yeah, you have to look at this stuff. It's very, yes, very interesting. It's very difficult to explain without having the image in front of you, so I definitely recommend checking out Robert's website to get a hold of those. Max, I think I remember you saying that you wanted to revisit the ancient city of Teotihuacan located right outside Mexico City. It's 2,000 years old. You wanted to revisit that and link it to Mars somehow. Can you yeah, talk about that? Sure. I was. I was. I had been thinking uh, because I learned a lot of things about Sidonia, and I thought maybe we ought to revisit Teotihuacan for its symbolism because we've always assumed that certain pyramids related to certain celestial objects. And what I learned at Sidonia is a very, very specific prediction, and the prediction is that our sun is not alone. We are, in fact, a binary star system. So, so where is the other sun? Well, the, the other sun is a brown dwarf star, which is, would be invisible. Sidonia tells us exactly where to look, which we could very easily do if NASA decided to turn its WISE telescope exactly opposite Orion in the celestial sphere hmm. and uh, observe it. And we could prove once and for all that Sidonia is absolutely artificial and intelligently designed. So what, what, I was, what I always wanted to do was go back to Teotihuacan and say, oh, well, you know, if they were so knowledgeable about our solar system, they might have known about this dark star and incorporated it into their pyramidal layout. That was one of the things I've always wanted to do. Well, you can take a flight to Mexico City and then hop on a bus. It's about 25 pesos to get out there. <laughs> Well, maybe I'll sell enough books from this podcast to uh, get down there. <laughs> hey, that would be great. Hey. So, yes, podcast listeners, please check out Max's website and um, look at his book and his other links. I'm going to put everything in the MexicoUnexplained.com website so you can have easy access to this information. Can I just say one more thing to your listeners that sure. uh, everything on my website is absolutely free. Uh, you can buy the book or you can just download it for free. Uh, I want the information out there. It's far more important to me that that happens than I make a buck. You can buy it or download it for free or you can download it, read it, decide you like it, and donate. That option is absolutely available. You can also follow me on Facebook at The Crux of Sidonia. And uh, that link is also available at my website, maxthenife.com. Great. Well, this was very interesting. I learned a lot, and I'm sure my listeners really found it fascinating. Thank you so much for your time, Max, and Thanks. I appreciate appreciate all your work, and it was very enjoyable. For me, too. Thank you very much. Thank you once again for listening to Mexico Unexplained. I appreciate your kind attention. 
please go to our website, MexicoUnexplained.com, for illustrations, commentary, and a show summary. Please feel free to leave a comment. We would love hearing from you. Until next time, thank you and gracias. Thank you for listening to another episode of Mexico Unexplained with host Robert Bitto. For show summary, relevant links and commentary, please check out our website at MexicoUnexplained.com. Like us on Facebook and be a part of the conversation. Adios and hasta la vista.